Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. It's not that the rich people go to hell and the poor people go to heaven. That's not what this is about. What he's trying to bring here is because of this specific audience, these Pharisees, he's focusing this parable, this story, to these Pharisees. Why? Because of their love for riches and the hardness of their heart. But the intent and the principle of this story actually fits for all of us. Every one of us ought to look at this story and say, okay, where is my heart in reference to this? Because this is what this is all about. It's a heart issue. Whether a heart is toward the things of God or whether a heart is toward the things of this world. The Pharisees were that group of people to whom everyone looked up to and aspired to be like. They were like high society, the leaders, the ones who were financially stable and had good status. However, while men admired the beautiful outside, God detested their inside. They were serving two gods, the Lord and money. Today, Pastor David will address the issue of the heart. While we can look pretty good on the outside, the Lord is concerned with what's on the inside. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, A Tale of Two Hearts. Well, in the opening words of Charles Dickens' great classic novel, uh, a tale of two cities. He opens that novel with these words. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom and it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was a season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope and it was the winter of despair. Today, we're not gonna look at the tale of two cities. We're actually gonna look at the tale of two hearts. Two different hearts, one that was having the best of times, one that was going through the worst of times. And however, we're soon going to find out that that heart that was experiencing the best of times was also filled with that present age of foolishness, a time of unbelief, and he was covered with a darkness that was uh, brought there by his own desire. While that heart that was experiencing the worst of times was actually a heart of wisdom and would soon be comforted and was comforted at that point in time only with hope and only with belief. The one that experienced the best of times in this world, again, those times were about to end suddenly, and it'd soon be cast into this eternal despair. The one that was experiencing the worst of times in this present world, well, those times would soon end also, and he would then come to know light everlasting and eternal peace. We're gonna be looking at the event, the story that Jesus speaks of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. I invite you to turn there. But before we get there, we're gonna back up just a little bit. We're gonna get a little bit of a running start. 
Still in chapter 16, I'm not going to back you way back, just a little bit backwards in chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 13, if you would. Jesus is speaking to these surrounding crowds, a multitude of the people that are there, but primarily he's focused to these Pharisees because he knows that even in his declarations and his teachings and his ministry, that the Pharisees just weren't getting it. They were there for other reasons other than honorable reasons. They were looking for every opportunity to bring some accusation against Christ. So as he focuses in on the Pharisees and the religious rulers, in verse 13, he makes this statement. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Well, for the Pharisees, this statement of Jesus, man, it, it struck too close to home because that's exactly what they were trying to do. And as a matter of fact, Luke tells us very clearly that they were lovers of money. Look at verse 14. He says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things and they derided him. And well, what do you mean they derided him? That means they ridiculed him. They, they mocked him. They sneered. They literally turned up their nose against him. Why? Because he was stepping on their toes. He had read their mail. He knew everything about them. He was revealing their hearts before all the people that were there. Because they couldn't argue against his message, they started bringing attacks against the messenger. And of course, they scoffed at him. He, you couldn't be a member of the Pharisees without being also a member of that upper financial class, those social places within Jewish society. As a Pharisee, you were high society. You couldn't be a Pharisee without being there. You also received the invitation, all the invitations to the uh, cool kid parties. You know, that's where the Pharisees went. They, you, you wanted to have a nice party, you're going to invite a Pharisee to be sure and be there. Why? Because they were the ones that, that brought class to the situation. You were exalted in your own eyes as a Pharisee and only natural to look down at everybody else. Why? Because you were a Pharisee. And again, in, in this whole thing, on one hand, they looked at themselves as being the religious elite, but they also considered themselves to be the social or the financial elite among society. They tried to have the best of both worlds, and in every way possible, they were the ones who were trying to serve two masters, and they thought that they were succeeding pretty well at it. After all, they knew all the law, they knew all the prophets, and yet at the same time, they were gaining from all the material wealth in the world as well. They thought that they were succeeding, but then Jesus came on the scene. And as soon as Jesus came on the scene, he started revealing the truth about them. As he spoke, he revealed that division that was in their hearts, that compromise that was in their lives, and how they tried to live in and pay homage to two different worlds. They, had, they tried to have their allegiance to two different masters. They tried to live in the world of religious uh, perfection, but at the same time, they were taking everything that they could. They really loved finances. They loved money. They sought after it continually. And this is what Jesus is bringing to light here. They thought that they were successful, but Jesus showed them the reality that no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Beloved, that's a message not for Pharisees of 2,000 years ago, but that's a message for every believer today. 
Way, way too often we hear within, again, the, the confines or the circles of the church, you know, individuals that are, man, they're looking for get-rich-quick schemes, ways, you know, to be able to gain all the stuff, and the greater focus on that rather than on the focus of their spiritual life. Jesus goes on to tell them in verse 15, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Do you see the vast difference of that? Highly esteemed before man, but it's not just that God didn't like it. No, it's an abomination before God. Those are pretty powerful words. On the outside, most of the common people looked at these Pharisees. They looked at them. They figured, man, these guys are righteous. They're religious. They're wise but God knew their heart. There was nothing hidden from his view. In, in many ways, the people admired the Pharisees. It, it's kind of like they were saying, wow, they've really made it. They've got a great standing with God. They're financially set, and I bet all their kids are perfect too. You know, the, the crowds looked at them. They, they thought, man, that was the thing to go after. All of this, why? Because the people looked on the outside. But what the people admired, God detested. Why? Because he saw on the inside. He not only detested it then, but he detests the same thing even today. For the Pharisees of Jesus' day, rather than recognizing their own sin for what it was, they ridiculed and they rejected the message of the Messiah. But that didn't stop Jesus from continually declaring the truth to them. Look what he says in verse 16. He goes on. He says, the law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it was the law and the prophets that again declared the plan and the purpose of God. And John even declared those things. But we see at the time of John, and he's speaking of John the Baptist, we see at the time of John the Baptist this beginning of a change of, of direction. Not that God had changed his mind or his plan. No, this was all within the plan of God. The, the law and the prophets had pointed to Messiah. Now John the Baptist comes on the scene. He's not just as a prophet pointing to Messiah. He actually able to point to the physical Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. At this point in time, as John comes to the people, and rather than commanding them to be religious, no, he starts speaking to them about repenting turning your hearts. As a matter of fact, he even rejected those Pharisees who within themselves were so religious. Remember, it was John the Baptist that says, hey, don't come to me for baptism. You go and do you know, acts of righteousness first or of repentance. Show that your heart and your life has changed. It's not about religion. It's not about religious structure. It's not about ritual. It's not about ceremony. Beloved, it's about you and I having a heart for the things of God within our lives. That's what makes the difference. And Jesus Jesus says everyone is pressing into it. There was a great move of God during that time frame because of John's preaching, and so many were coming to it. But then Jesus goes on in verse 17. He says, it's actually easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. In essence, he's saying, hey, the law of God is going to remain the same. The command of God has not changed. The Pharisees considered themselves experts at the law and at the prophets. And yet it was the law and the prophets that pointed the way to that coming Messiah. 
The only one that would truly and completely be able to fulfill those commands. The only one who was the fulfillment of what the prophets declared. And these experts of the law and of the prophets rejected the one that the law and the prophets pointed to. They felt he was trying to do away with the law. They, they looked at the life of Jesus and they said, no, here's a guy and he's breaking the Sabbath. Look, he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Oh, he caused that man to take up his bed and walk on the Sabbath. He's breaking the law. Oh, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Certainly, he can't be somebody that's obeying the law. He's breaking the law. And again, Jesus explains to them, no, the law's not going to be done away with. It's easier for this whole visible creation to be wiped out than for the smallest bit of God's law to fail or be removed. In the earlier portion of Jesus' ministry, back in the days that he was up in the Sea of Galilee area, right now he's down near Jerusalem getting ready for the last week of his life. But in the earlier ministry, when he was up in Galilee, you remember the time that he's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. He gathers the people together for what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 records that. Well, it's in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus says these words. He says, don't think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And you're saying, okay, pastor, so what's a jot and what is a tittle? Makes absolutely no sense to me. Well, in the Hebrew written language, the jot is probably the smallest little portion of the, the written Hebrew language, not unlike the dot over our eyes, okay, or maybe the crossing of a T, the smallest little bit of written language. That's what the jot is. Jesus says that's, it's not going to be done away with. That's going to stay the same. And the tittle, the tittle is a marking. If you consider our letter, the capital letter Q, and you know that little leg that cuts through the capital letter Q? What happens if you take that out? What does the Q become? An O. So you can't take that out. It changes it completely. And what Jesus is saying, the smallest minute portion of God's word and of God's law will remain the same. Not a dot of an I, not the leg of a Q is going to be removed. It's going to remain the same. So all of this, he speaks to them. And here in Luke 16, back in Luke 16, Jesus says, man, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. And you read this and you say, where did that come from? In the midst of what he's saying, suddenly he, he brings in this whole deal about marriage and divorce. Is that what he was speaking about? Where, what are you bringing to us? It seems so out of place because he doesn't stay there for long. He moves on from there. He just suddenly makes this statement. He didn't lead into it. He doesn't give us any explanation at all. It appears to be just out of the blue. Hey, by the way, Pharisees, if you divorce your wife and remarry, you're committing adultery. And if the divorced woman remarries, bam, that new husband, he's committing adultery. And then he moves on. It's kind of, okay, what does that mean? Well, you need to bear in mind the audience that he's speaking to. The audience that was there, the, the time and, and all that was going on that was there. The Pharisees 
we look and see and we can understand from them that Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees about probably one of the most controversial situations that was within their society then. Oh yeah, and it's still controversial today. But he's making it very clear to these Pharisees that he supports the full intent of God's law and God's purpose. He didn't come to do away with or lessen the law of God. These Pharisees, they knew the law, at least on the outside at least. And it appeared on the outside that they were the ones that kept the law so diligently. But you need to understand they also very diligently sought for every loophole that they could find. Okay, here's the law. Okay, let's see how we can get around that law. It's not unlike you guys that say, okay, the speed limit is 55, so that means I can drive at least 59. Okay, I know there's some of you out there. Now, don't talk to my wife about that, okay? But looking for loopholes around the law. For most of these Pharisees, you need to understand, divorce was kind of an arbitrary thing, and, and it wasn't too difficult to accomplish during that time, particularly with their interpretation of the law. During that time, there were primarily two schools of thought in reference to just the Jewish life and the fulfillment of the law, and in particular, dealing with divorce. First of all, there was the school of the Rabbi Shammai. Now, Shammai, he, he was the one who said that divorce was permitted only in the case of immorality, and that's it. But there was another rabbi on the scene that had a great following. That was Rabbi Hillel. Hillel, on the other hand, he permitted divorce for several reasons, and a lot of them is as trivial as simply making a mistake preparing a meal. So, ladies, if you burnt the toast this morning, you better watch out. I mean, it really, truly was that much. Uh, you know, if she doesn't please him, hey, I'm going to write you a writ of divorce and you're out of here. That's what Jesus was coming. He was bringing them back to the full purpose and the intent of the law. By and large, the Sadducees were the ones that followed those stricter teachings of uh, Shammai. But the Pharisees, by and large, they were the ones that followed the teachings and the interpretations of Hillel. And so there was a great amount of divorce within these very religious men. And Jesus understood. He doesn't go into any of the exceptions here at all. I understand that. He simply states, again, the letter of the law and the heart of God in relation to these covenant commitments. You need to understand this isn't a thorough teaching on marriage and divorce. But with that statement, he's declaring to these Pharisees how far they had come away from both the letter and the intent of God's law. Now he moves on, and here we move into this tale of two hearts. Here Jesus shows the difference between these two hearts. One heart that's filled with pride and the pursuit of pleasure, just like these Pharisees. The other that's filled with humility, a great amount of physical sufferings, not too unlike the people, the common people around that were listening. Look what he says beginning in verse 19. and I'll begin reading there and then we'll go back and take a look at it. In Luke 16, verse 19, he says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed simply with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and he was buried. 
And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fix so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then the rich man said, well, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you should send him to my earthly father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Yet the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. There's so much here within just that portion of this passage. The first thing I want you to grasp is there's a specific purpose for this teaching that Jesus is laying out. You need to understand this is not a teaching about heaven and hell. And neither is it a teaching about salvation. You need to understand that there's probably going to be a lot of poor people in hell, and there's probably going to be a lot of rich people in heaven, okay? So it's not that the rich people go to hell and the poor people go to heaven. That's not what this is about. What he's trying to bring here is because of this specific audience, these Pharisees, he's focusing this parable, this story, to these Pharisees. Why? Because of their love for riches and the hardness of their heart. But the intent and the principle of this story actually fits for all of us. Every one of us ought to look at this story and say, okay, where is my heart in reference to this? Because this is what this is all about. It's a heart issue. Whether a heart is toward the things of God or whether a heart is toward the things of this world. And that's where we're looking at this morning. First of all, some would say that this is possibly not really a parable, but actually a true story that Jesus knew simply because who he was. Again, simply because he, he names one of the individuals. Elsewhere in his parables, he would say, you know, a certain rich man or, or a steward or a farmer or a certain man having two sons. He uses all of these things in parables, but here he, he gives Lazarus a name. And although Lazarus, he's, he's shunned and he's ignored by the general public and even by this rich man who's, whose gate he sits at every day, now Lazarus is here identified by the Lord and his name is now, you got to figure this, though unknown during his time, now his name is declared for all eternity. How cool is that? I look at different stories and different events within the Word of God, and sometimes it's just a mention of a name. Sometimes it's a mention of a name and a small good thing that they did, and you think, wow, because that person did the right thing at the right time. Their name is listed in the Word of God 
now for all of eternity. And then we have other names like Alexander the coppersmith. Anybody ever hear of Alexander the coppersmith? He was the bad guy, okay? And Paul said, man, this guy has been nothing but trouble for me, man. Keep away from Alexander the coppersmith. Well, you know what? His name is there now for all eternity too. So do we want our name for good or for bad? Let's, let's stick for the good part. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.